Welcome everybody to The Way. This is the podcast where we read scripture. Today we're on Mark chapter 11. Uh, I invite you to not only read along with us if you have the availability to do that. If you're driving, don't even try. <laughs> if, uh, if you have a chance later, we do ask that you would go back through and read these scriptures for yourself and see what God highlights for you specifically. Uh, I'm Pastor Ben LaGrange, and today I'm joined by Eric Mama. Hello, how are you doing? Not bad, not bad. Good. So, Eric, you want to explain to the listeners who you are? Yeah, I'm just a uh, just a gentleman from Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, I met you a couple years ago, and mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, where I'm currently at in my life is is that uh, uh, I'm just excited. Uh, I'm, I'm heavy into sports, but I'm also uh, excited for the Lord and and what He's done in my life over the years and the transition He's taking place currently. And just want others to know about that. Absolutely. Now, I've I've known you through small groups and other interactions with uh, men we know from small groups. Um, you go to uh, Heritage in Rock Island, which is a great place, right? Yep, correct. Uh, I was just there on Saturday myself. Yep. And uh, you also do some work with the Quad City River Bandits as a chaplain down there, right? Well, not quite the chaplain. So they, they do have a chaplain, but one of the things I do is is my past career was uh, a former player, okay. uh, not with the Bandits, but I did I did play professionally. Okay. Uh, here locally at Rock Island and then and collegiately as well. Um, and then as uh, as time went on. In my career, I had gotten out of ball, and there's a whole story on that. We won't get into that today, but uh, <laughs> I believe God has allowed me to get back into the game. I do a lot of instruction on the side, and so yeah. what I do with them is uh, being left-handed, and the Astros were in need of a, uh, a left-handed guy to, to, to throw to their players so they can get a different look. Uh, I've been, been able to do that the last four years, and then alongside with that, I attend chapel, chapel with them on Sundays. Uh, if the chaplain is gone for some reason, I'll lead it last weekend. Uh, Easter was yesterday, actually, and so they didn't have chapel, and so I actually uh, led chapel for both teams, and, and we had about 20 guys and two coaches. So, Well, that's amazing. Yep. That's awesome that God's using you in that way. Yep, love it. Today we're actually going to be going through a tough part of Scripture in chapter 11 of Mark. Okay. Um, Mark actually has a couple of great stories right here. Uh, now we're kind of on the backside of what happens in Mark. The first half is really all about who is this man. And the second half, really going from about chapter 8 back, is really about the march to Jerusalem. This is a very quick and easy book. It has a lot of directed language, and a lot of the stories are just showing we went up the hill, now we're charging down the hill. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and start by reading the first section of Scripture, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you'll find a colt there tied, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it there, and if anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs you, or the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. And they went and found a colt outside of the street, tied to a doorway, and they untied it. For some people standing there, they asked, what are you doing? Are they, is this a surprise when Jesus said, hey, this is going to happen, and it happens? Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that the other day, or you know, <laughs> just looking at that this morning, actually. And, and I'm like, yeah, just, just to foresee and foreshadow. Um, or Although I know some commentaries believe that maybe Jesus probably had a, a uh, previous conversation with the owner. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've heard that at all before or not. There's different theories. Yeah. Wow. So, but uh, just for him to know that and the disciples not to... Yeah, and since you know that's crazy. <laughs> what are you doing untying that colt? They said, "Yeah," and they answered just as Jesus told them to, and people let them to go. Let them go, 
And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Now many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread their branches, and they cut into the fields. And those who went ahead and those who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around every uh, looked around at everything, but since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What was it? Was there a particular piece that caught you on that? Uh, are you fam- obviously you're very familiar with the story, and we just uh, two weeks ago we passed um, through uh, Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. So is is there anything that that really touched on that, or anything that caught you there? Uh, you know, I mean, there's a few things as far as, you know, we, we think about, um, uh, the cult itself, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus, uh, you know, the Jews were looking for this, this awesome Messiah to come in and, and, and just fully take control over everything and yeah. be like a war leader. And here Jesus is not riding in on a stallion type of a horse, right? <laughs> right. He picks up a colt and, and, uh, uh, especially one that's never been ridden. So think about that as well. You know, uh, we have to train them, and it, and and it was very smooth going. That's not normal. I think that would happen for me or you, would it? No, if we no. got on a, a brand new Colt, never been ridden. I don't think it would be a very comfy ride. <laughs> I haven't gotten in a Mustang that wasn't twenty years old. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Let alone a Colt that's brand new. Right. So just you know, just the Colt itself and the meaning behind that, and then just the way that he entered, very very peacefully, you know, yeah. very lovingly, instead of. We think about these leaders that come in and they just take full control and it's all about power. And Jesus didn't do that. It was completely opposite. You know why they had that expectation, Eric? Go ahead. There's a story called the Maccabees. <laughs> do you know the story of Hanukkah, the, the detailed story of Hanukkah or no? Not, not fully. Most Christians don't, so I don't blame you. There's actually a section of our Bible as Protestants that's missing. Um, some churches have it, some don't. The Greek Orthodox study it. Jesus studied it, Catholics study it, but for some reason we've dropped it out along the way. And the Maccabees actually tells the story of instead of the Romans occupying Israel, mm-hmm. the Greeks did. Oh, wow. Okay. And at that time, there were a set of warrior priests named the Maccabees, which is the coolest name ever because if you look at it, they're called the Hammers. <laughs> they're the warrior priests. Yeah. They're the guys that they literally walk through town. They trod through town in the same way that Jesus did, but they came through on war horses right. with hammers, smashing the Greeks in the head like little bunny foo-foo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the thing is, okay, I just made a little, little bunny foo-foo joke. That's, that's pretty good. Got, that was good. Yeah, especially for a Monday morning. Early. That's not bad for no. an early Monday. No. So um, the, the thing is, they had this previous expectation because what happened is those those priests drew, drove out the, the Greeks. Mm-hmm. But after a while, they found themselves split into the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now that seems familiar. Yeah. So where they were unified, they split into two. Uh, kind of a conservative and a, a liberal or, a, you know, as we see the politics of today playing out it's in that way. Sure. They divided. And then the Romans came in after they were divided. Now they see the same thing, but instead of a war horse, he comes through on a young colt. Right. Which is actually, in their sign, a sign of peace. Mm -hmm. He's coming in peace. He's actually not coming to drive out the Romans. He's coming to drive out sin. Yes. He's trying to make that first connection that allows it. 
this is one of those most one of the most beautiful things that we miss out on in scripture. We need to to go back and look at those those sections that Jesus studied, but we don't. Right. So the apocrypha is a really powerful thing if it, if nothing else for the history that actually explains that 500 years between the Old and New Testament because God was not silent. He was talking during that time and he still talks now. Yeah, correct. Amen. Yeah. So when I look at this, um, there is that, that, you know, that the idea that maybe Jesus went out and paid someone and talked to him in advance and settled plans. Yeah. Yeah. You brought that up. Yeah. There's just different commentaries that have, have thought that too. Like, you know, maybe Jesus knew the gentleman before, Yeah, you know, and, um, but that's probably the, the earthly, yeah. you know, thinking mind that, but right. It's my logic, not his logic. Yeah. So I can go, I can go along with, with either way, but can you imagine if we did that today? Yeah. Like somebody would come out and said, Hey, I'm grabbing your car. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Jesus told me that you can have it. <laughs> <Right>. What? <laughs> oh yeah. Go ahead and take it. I'll be on nine one one. Don't be surprised if you see a bunch of flashing lights. <laughs> right. It'll be good. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a strange thing. It's like grand theft auto in, yeah. <laughs> in, in the first century. So we, we start looking at this and they actually knew who Jesus was though. It's a celebrity. So this isn't like me coming up and Eric, I'm, can I get the keys to your car? I'll be back in a little bit. Right. That's a little weird. Yeah. But uh, let's say, um, let's just pick a, a celebrity out there. Barry Manilow, Barry just Manilow. to be ridiculous. Okay. Barry Manilow comes in town, says, uh, someone sends a, someone over to your house and say, I need your keys. Barry needs to borrow your car. Barry who? <laughs> right. Right. It's someone that everybody would have known. But even at that, it would be, that'd be a tough struggle for someone, wouldn't it? Yeah. Even, even myself, I you know, uh, it, it, it goes back to, especially me, Barry Manilow. Right? Yeah. Especially Barry Manilow. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, we look at things like, why are you not approaching me and, and knocking on my door or finding me and saying, Hey, so-and-so sent me. These guys just walked up. But we've also got to consider that it's not just these guys walking up. I mean, you got to consider when you start looking at um, someone who's so completely occupied. You wouldn't expect Sean Cosen, your your pastor, to just go up and and uh, you know handle every bit of business. He's got a team of people that actually handle those things, right? Right. Yeah. Correct. And, and in that same way, Jesus obviously had a team of people to do the same. But we want to fill in the blanks with our particular logic, like. How would that? You're like, okay, if we're going to borrow this, just like we did, how are we going to play that out? You know. So some celebrity comes up and says, "Hey, can I borrow your car?" You know, you're going to need a ledger. You're going to need something if you even bothered. If you even bothered, but there's there's obviously a lot more to that particular piece, and we try to fill in those blanks and say, "Well, how could that have happened logically?" And we want to take the. Some people actually just want to erase all the miracles and erupt erase any of the uh, supernatural out of it. But if we expect God to be who he is, we should expect that he's going to do major, major things. Here. Right, correct. Uh, could you do me the favor of reading uh, the most uh, weird answer to the what would Jesus do question? Okay. <laughs> I know this is always the joke. Uh, by reading verses 12 uh, to 25. No, I'm sorry, 12 to 19. 12 through 19. Yeah. Mark 11. 
This is uh, in the uh, NLT version. Okay. Uh, Jesus clears the temple again. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf and a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers of the chairs and of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. While the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what he had done, they began planning on how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. Wow, that seems like a non sequitur there. It's like two unrelated things. Yeah, sounds like two stories. It sounds like two stories. And they are. Quickly, we're going to come along the answer to the first part of that, that, that whole fig tree and leaf. So we have some really, really weird things going on with this particular piece. And everybody used to like to drive around with the bumper stickers, what would Jesus do, or the wristbands. Right. Oh, how many wristbands are there right now sitting around the world not decomposing? Ah, there you go. <laughs> another topic, another day. Right. Another, <laughs> some archaeologists, 10,000 years from now, they're yep. like, what does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it's a, it's a strange deal in itself there, but... We are, we're looking at this particular piece. What, what is the, the story here for you? What is the story here for you? Yeah, at first I'm like, why would, why would Jesus just up and just curse a tree out of nowhere, right? You know, <laughs> right. like, whoa, what is going on here? <laughs> but the more that you dig into it, and the more that you really look and see what's going on, you have to understand what the fig tree is all about, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And... Uh, and so what happened? What happens to an actual fig tree? And from my understanding, uh, from some some past looking into, I believe, and quote me if I'm wrong, or let me know if I'm wrong, I believe the figs of a fig tree actually come out, I think, at the same time the leaves do. I, I think that's, that's what's different yeah, I'm not, on a fig tree versus other trees that produce fruit. Yeah, I'm not sure on, on that particular piece, uh, you know. I'm not the so best. so that was kind of a that was kind of a hint too that here's here's a tree that's not only producing its leaves mm-hmm. but there's no fruit to go along with it. There's the problem. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's like whoa, and he just cursed this tree out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of the answers actually on that come from verse uh, twenty to twenty-five, but there are some other insights to it as well. Because when they in the morning when they went along, they saw the fig tree was withered from the roots, mm-hmm. not from the top, but from the roots. That's not how things work usually. But Peter remembered and said to Jesus, "Look, the fig tree you curse is withered." So Jesus answers him. He says, "Have faith in God. I tell you the truth that if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea." And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, what he says will happen, it will be done for. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe it, and you've received it, and it'll be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, hmm. so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Yeah. So, again, these things seem a little bit weird in, in our Western culture, but 
we're talking about several things. And there's some insight that we need to look into on this. He actually cursed the tree. If you, if you go back, I believe it's in Luke, there's a similar story where there's a tree, a fig tree, in a grove, and it's not, it's not giving fruit. And he says, I'll give you a couple more years. But if you don't, you're done. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. This is what I do know about the fig tree. It gives fruit twice a year. Mm. Now, this fig tree, it says, wasn't even in season. So if it's not the season for grooming, if it's not the season for having fruit, why are you going to get mad at it for not having fruit? Mm. Yeah, good question. But I believe Jesus would have known, number one, it's symbolic. Number two, it's actual, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's sometimes we do things that are point to something else, like when we do communion. Is this, this actually the body of Christ? It's, it's a piece of bread, mm-hmm. right? We're showing this to explain that in the same way that Jesus did. He said, hey, this is my body. When he broke the bread, this is my blood. And he's actually pointing to a reality of this is what's going to happen. In the same way, this does too. Because he believes for a number of years, Israel has actually taken care of itself, but not spread the gospel. Everybody feared and respected Israel for, for their God and their power. Even the Romans who wouldn't let you worship anyone else, mm-hmm. allowed them to worship Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So allowed them to worship God in the way that they did because he respected that. So this continuance, they're, they're providing for themselves, the church is doing for themselves only over and over. And this kind of comes back to the what happens in the temple. How many times have you seen a church bake sale? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's always been a weird spot for me, to be honest, because I remember this story when I was a kid from like I was seven years old at the Assembly of God Church in Davenport. And, <laughs> and they preached on this. And then like two weeks later, they had visiting artists come in. And you remember that song Elvira from the Oak Ridge Boys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they had some quartet come in and do the song. Go, Jonah. Go. <laughs> And then they sold their A-track tapes out. I'm dating myself, aren't I? Yeah, A-track. A-track. Oh, my. (laughs) That means I'm climbing there with you, so I'm not far behind. I know, I know, right? (laughs) So I was like, like, how do they do this? I remember asking my teacher, how do they say this? That you can't be making money in the temple, and then you're selling A-track tapes in the lobby. (laughs) So that was always kind of an, an, an issue for me. And here we're looking at it, is the house of God producing just enough to take care of itself or is branching out for other people? Yeah, good question. Um, We had kind of a similar conversation on this just before the recording started. Yeah. Um, You know, and we're talking about the the, the tree again, the fig tree here, and it's... Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've, I've learned lately is sometimes I think... We look at fruit, mm-hmm. and we look at, like, what are people doing? Yeah. In reality, it goes back to the very beginning. If we think about that, that fig tree, and you just talked about, um, you know, it, it does take some time before those, those, uh, the fruit starts to, to grow on that fig tree. But what I do know is that as that process is growing, the fruit will come out with the leaves. Mm-hmm. So now we're looking at that tree as itself. Okay, and so when I go back to fruit and thinking about fruit, for me it was, um, are we doing it as an outward expression, 
or is the fruit in our own personal lives, has that changed yet? Yeah. You know, think about that a little bit. It's not always what are we out doing or, or, or you know, who can we help? The works part is great, right, when we're doing it for God. Yeah. But sometimes a lot of people don't. But we have to look at ourselves first, too. How has God changed us? Or what is our process that he's worked on? And that's that fig tree, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. He's given it some time to mature a little bit before the fruit takes place. But it's with itself. It's nurturing itself. It's how is it changing? Is it becoming stronger? Yeah. Right? You can take water out of a poison well and it's still going to be poison. Right. Right. Yeah. But what we look for is this. When when God overwhelms us and overflows us with what he's doing, then there's something else that happens. And it can't be contained within our own cycle process of self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about what the cycle of a, a tree. You know, uh, There's a military term called self-licking lollipop. It's it's a thing that exists just to take care of itself. Yeah, um, it's basically a it's a funding thing. Well, we needed to spend this money, so we spent this money on something that'll spend money. It's a ridiculous thing. <laughs> but some of our churches actually act in that way, and I've been involved with churches that do that as well. So basically, we raise just enough money to pay the pastor, just enough money uh, to pay our our ties to the larger denomination. Uh, just enough to exist for ourselves, but not enough to reach out. Or right. if we do reach out, reach out in a way that they'll stay out and not come in mm. because we like it the size that it is. And that's a problem. So in, in that same way, a tree that would leaf but not fruit, the leaves would fall, nourish the ground and the roots enough where it can leave again and continue to exist but do no more. But when fruit applies, when fruit starts growing, several things happen. We, this is what we talked about. Yeah, yeah. Rotten fruit mm-hmm. will help nourish the roots. Oh, don't we, we don't want rotten fruits in our church, do we? No. Yes, we do. <laughs> Jesus was accused of hanging out with gluttons, prostitutes, yep. tax collectors, and, and worse. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? That rotten fruit helped the roots, and it helped it grow. Second of all, it feeds the animals. Yeah. And guess what those animals do? When they eat the seeds, well, they got to come out somehow. Yep. And they transport it. And they transport <laughs> it and they plant it <laughs> the hard way. Yeah. And humans, they get to eat from it. So it actually nourishes not just the roots. It nourishes the world around us and the people. So that fruit is the expression. It's the overwhelming love. If there's just enough nutrients to support sustenance and that's mm-hmm. it. It's not good enough. There needs to be enough nutrients to actually flourish and produce for the world. There's a thing I like called the flow for the life of the world. Yeah. If, if there were one bumper sticker I would have, that would be it for the life of the world. There you go. Because that's the good of the gospel right yep. there. Yeah, and I love and I love what you just you can't see his expressions, what he, what you're doing. But as you're doing that, you know, our arms, our hands are expanding and they're going out. And that's, and that's what discipleship is, right? Yeah, it is. You know, or discipleship and teaching, okay, is what we're called to do. And, and as that spreads, and that's, that's why God allowed uh, the disciples to, to leave so the gospel could be reached throughout the world. It's the exact same concept. And the problem is, is discipleship is ugly. It is. It's so hard, isn't it? The gospel is easy. Discipleship is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just be honest, right? <laughs> that means, well... 
I'm sorry for any people that are easily offended, but I'm going to tell this story anyways. I went to the um, the muffler shop, and I, I was getting my oil changed. And the guy at the front, he says, can I have your phone number? I gave him my phone number. He's like, Benny, right? Uh, no. Don't call me Benny. I'll call you Benny. It's not a thing. So it's, Pastor Benny doesn't work. No. no, no. <laughs> PB and J Mike. Yeah, there you go. Pastor Ben and Jesus. There you go. <laughs> but not in that order. Yeah. Um, but I said, I said, Ben, actually. He's like, oh, Benjamin or Ben? Yeah, yeah. Either one of those work. He's like, don't hit me. Crap splatters. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's, that's the thing I learned about discipleship is you actually have to get there and you have to suffer with people. You have to have compassion. You got to, you got to work people from where they're at, pull them out and move them on. But the problem is you can't, you can't do discipleship while touching someone with a 10 foot pole. You got to get up next to them. Yeah. And sometimes crap does splatter. It does. It does. It does. <laughs> I think people are messy, messy things, but we, uh, we don't really have to worry about that. So when we get in there, we need to make sure that we have enough nutrients. And guess what? Crap has a lot of nutrients. It does. That's why we use manure for fertilizer, right? <laughs> and, and these are the things we need to look at. When we do that, though, when we deal with the rotten fruit, then we build good fruit. When we build good fruit, we spread everywhere. Yeah. Now, small churches are good, but they're not meant to stay small. You figure the first church, first church was two people in God. Mm-hmm. Then it got bigger. Yeah. And then it got bigger. And then it got just to one country. And that wasn't good enough. Right. And it sustained itself as one country. And Jesus said, that's not working. Let's blow this thing out. Yep. And you know what? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And Jesus was the first drop shed. Yeah. Amen. And man, did it go. Man, did it grow. Mm-hmm. We're talking like eight mil or eight trillion, or I'm sorry, eight billion people on the planet right now. Is that right? Yeah. Something like that. And over four billion of those count themselves as Christians to at least to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's big. That's big. Mm-hmm. Talk about some fruit there, right? There is, yeah. Amen to that. Could you read um, verses 27 through 33? Yep. This is where the religious leaders challenges, um, they challenge Jesus' authority. Again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer just one question, Jesus said. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me, he said. They talked it over with themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe in John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do, because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> right. I love that. You don't tell me. I do right. it. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I always love that moment. I, I think that's kind of a great thing. But what, you've run into this moment before, right? Yeah. You've, you've run into this. Sure. So uh, you got a good story or two about it. I know you do. So tell me, tell me how this works out. Oh, just as far as, uh, um, have you ever dealt with this in your life where people didn't understand what was going on and you're just like, 
You know, the, one of the ways that I can I can I can relate. Um, I, I relate a lot of stuff to sports, mm-hmm. and um, so for me, it's it's uh, and we hate to use this word, but people really don't understand the meaning of it. And to me, it's ignorance. Yeah. Right. Ignorance is bliss. Oh, it is. Isn't yeah, it? isn't it? Um, That's why I'm so happy all the time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and I have to talk about my own growth. You know, as far as the the example that I'm leading with is through instruction and stuff is. I've always thought a certain thing a certain way, and I just, you know, I believed in it, you know, but I wasn't really 100% sure exactly what I was teaching, if that makes a lot of sense, okay? Yeah. And and I knew that there were probably, or maybe I didn't know, I really didn't know that there were better ways. Right. And so as I, as I progressed and I finally came across some things, I realized over time that, wow, there are actually more efficient ways to do things. It doesn't mean that the old way was wrong. Right. It just means that there's there's better ways of doing things, which then, out of that, makes, uh, in the sports realm, makes it more efficient. Yes. Make, gives you a better opportunity to be successful. Mm-hmm. So when we think of that in a, and I don't like to use this word, and I know you don't either, but in a religious-type setting or faithful setting in Christianity, yeah. right, we can think about those things and and who abides who abides it in us and what's our purpose with it and and then and then who's leading that and out of that comes the spirit yeah who can then guide us and give us the correct answers that is so it because i mean it's so easy to just quote john 3:16 throw some water on somebody and walk away that costs yeah. nothing i mean that's easy right that's easy and i i think about that moment but it's not just that easy is it because being Christian doesn't mean I had water tossed on me once. Right. It doesn't mean that I've been dunked. It doesn't mean that somebody quoted me a verse and I, I walked into a church one time and never never came back. Mm-hmm. It's a continual process of understanding what God wants for your life and what you're doing for others. Yeah. And when I think about when I think about that, I go back to the sports realm, right? And when I when I'm working with either uh, young kids or college kids or even even a, a young professional, and and right now the sports with with me is baseball. Yeah. It's it's learning to know where you currently are at, also know where you were, but have the, have the, the ability to understand that you, you have the room to grow and visualize and see that. But there right. is a process that takes you there. And it doesn't happen overnight. Exactly. It doesn't happen overnight. It does take progress along the way. Right. You know, a lot, I've, one of the struggles I personally have is talking to people about miracles. They just don't see it and they don't understand it. And and I see them all the time. Um, some of them minor, some of them major. It's just uh, some things I, I can't even explain without sounding like I'm a madman, mm-hmm. just to be honest. And it's not our rational process. It's not our everyday thinking. But when I look at it, those things weren't apparent to me. When I was seven and I said, you know what? I want to be saved from hell. I want to be in heaven with Jesus at the end of these days. And I got baptized. It wasn't with me when I was 13 in a Pentecostal church learning the scriptures in a better way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't with me when I went to a Methodist church and got into a small group and started understanding it. Actually, that's where I started counting myself a Christian. Sure. Is where I got into that discipleship process. Yeah. None of that was there. Mm-hmm. It was through personal relationship with God. It's that repetition, that yeah. cycle that goes. Because the more time I spend with him, the more I know him, the more I can see him move. 
Yeah. And those things happen through, um, through an understanding. And here, in that same kind of progressive, you know, I, think, I feel like God plays peekaboo sometimes. I think that's a weird thing to say, but, you know, just like little kids, like, peekaboo. Yeah. And in that same way, you just get a little peek now, right? John yeah. three sixteen. You mean I can go here? That's like opening the brochure and say, hmm, that's what England looks like. Yeah. And then there's another thing to look on Wikipedia. It's another thing to look at YouTube and watch a video. Yeah. It's another thing all together to be there. Just be there. Yeah. And through that same kind of peaking process, right? It pops up a little more, a little more. Look, you see me now? Yeah. And you get the whole thing and the whole experience. And that's that's what they're missing. They yeah. have the law. Right. But they don't see who's in front of them. Yeah, and, and, and they were more concerned about themselves, right? So when I go back to the sports analogy, for me, it's it's like, you know, why are you doing things and what are you doing? Is it because you want that World Series trophy? Yeah. You're right. Or you want that weekend medal? Yeah. Um, or, or, are you, or are you more apt to say, I'm not so concerned about that. I know eventually that may or may not happen, but what's my process that leads up to that? And when you do those things, you, you, don't, you don't become so, quote, unquote, religious. You then, in turn, become a better athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't always guarantee success. In fact, it never does. But it builds a better process. You become a better, you have better work ethic. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know what happens out of that? Your mind frame does change because as you continue to do things, you end up doing them differently, and you, then eventually you have a better understanding of where you were and what you thought was correct. Right. And now it's different, and you've and you've gotten away from those old habits, right? Or and, ideas, and that progression and the process is visible to everybody. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and the, the, and the religious leaders of that time didn't want to go through that process. No, it was all about them. You know what? A lot of people. Um, I'm just going to point out this weird thing that happens. Um, somebody asked me the question uh, through a book I was reading <laughs> called. Who murdered Jesus? Mm. Right? And was it the Pharisees? Was it was it the Romans? Uh, was, it was actually us. Right. Right. And and how this comes around, uh, when we start looking at um, this process of who's guilty along the way, we start to look at it in a different way. The, the Pharisees were the, kind of the rules lawyers. Now, you'll have to help me out with this because uh, the only sports I really care that much about are judo, jiu-jitsu, and mixed martial arts. Yeah, which to me, I thought, like I've always said, I thought you, you were going to be the center for me in football, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I could be. I'm not. I, I was a tackle for like nine minutes in, yeah. uh, Didn't work. in, in junior high. Okay. But uh, the, um, you'll have to help me out with this because... In the Hall of Fame for baseball, are there any referees in there? Any umpires? Any linemen? Keep going. I don't see any. <laughs> I've never heard of any. I don't know. They might be, but yeah. I don't think they're there. Because nobody likes the rules lawyers. The rules are what the rules are, and that's mm-hmm. okay. But it, and some strength does, does need to be applied to the rules. But there also needs to be grace, and there's that balance right. between grace and and law. And that's where we miss out, I think, a lot of times. So when we actually get right into the middle of those things, we've, we've got the players who can actually swing the bat, the players that can hit the bases and slide into home and jump up the wall to, to catch the ball before it goes out, right? Right. 
These are the things we're looking for. Um, so I look at it's not it's not the rules lawyers that did it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the executors of the law. It's not the not the people in the the management seats, right? It's us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I um, I remember a couple of years ago when the the Cubs were in the World Series or about to get into the World Series against the Marlins. You remember that? Yeah. That play. Do you remember that guy's name? Oh, oh should we bring it up again? Oh, I don't know. Let's not <laughs> let's not use his name. But here's the deal. Uh, the umpires uh, didn't call the play. It wasn't bad. Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the management seats. Who crucified that guy? Yeah, that caught the ball and didn't throw or reached down to catch the ball right off on the side of the wall. Yeah. Well, started, yeah, the fans were yeah it started by the player yeah and and then they they produced off that the fans produced off the reaction of the player it, exactly yeah. and, and they just lived on it constantly oh man yeah. right see and it's the same way it wasn't the Pharisees it wasn't the executors of the law right mm-hmm. it wasn't the Romans it was the fans yep and that's who crucified Jesus yep that's that's an amazing thing to me you know. I've, I've heard people be racist over the years or, you know, bigots against uh, Judaism for this. Sure. I've, I've heard one of the, the kids that was in my youth group go off on somebody for being Jewish because they killed Christ. I'm like, no. Did you forget to blame the Italians too? Yeah. <laughs> what about my Italian friends? That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Why would you remember this and not that? But it wasn't, it wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Italians. It was humans. Right. All of us. Yeah. And it, it's a centerpiece to, to remind ourselves by. This challenging of authority, we don't get it. And it's easy to look at these Pharisees and say, oh, you big dummies. Oh, but it's all of us at some point. Mm-hmm. And eventually we come to know. Well, we've actually taken up quite a bit of time here on, on this chapter. I just wanted to thank you for, for joining me here today. Yeah, it was good having me. You want to close me out in prayer here? Yeah, I can for sure. Let's do that. Heavenly gracious uh, Father, again, we just uh, thank you for who you are and and, uh, and what you're on our lives. And Lord, I just, uh, again, um, we thank you for today's scripture and, and uh, what it means to us, Lord. Um, you know, if we can just go out throughout today and just uh, really think, especially with the past weekend of Easter, um, what, it, what it really means to us, that you just came for us. You didn't come because of a legalistic issue and you didn't come as some powerful, outstanding uh, leader war leader that just tried to just overshadow everybody. You came out of love, out of peace, and you just came specifically for us. And then on, uh, on on the third day, you rose. And Lord, that's just what it's all about, is that you just came specifically for us. And we know that you love us, and uh, you're just wanting to do a good work in our lives, so then we, we can then portray who you are and spread the good gospel throughout the world. So we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you for who you are. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us here today on The Way Podcast. Uh, don't forget to join us for The Other Way, where we're going to talk a little bit more after this uh, uh, with Eric about some of what he's doing out here in the Quad Cities. Uh, we really appreciate you. Make sure to read the Bible for yourself. And if you don't join church this weekend, make sure you find one next weekend. Find our church. Uh, right now, I'm at St. Mark's in Comanche. But uh, find a local church. Get a hold of somebody. Talk about Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Talk to Jesus, more importantly. 
Now, as we go, go in grace and peace. So make peace with God so you can be his grace in this world. Amen. Amen.